everybody, and welcome back to Crime and Coffee. I'm Allison. And I'm Mike. And we're glad to have you here. Sure am. Hey, thank you for so much for listening. And uh, if you didn't mind, just uh, you know, give us a little quick five-star review on Apple Podcasts and uh, tell your friends, maybe give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Crime and Coffee 2. Crime and Coffee number two. So uh, we'd love to have you and chat with you and you know, any suggestions you might have for another case or something. We're all ears. I know I am. Actually, the case that I'm doing today was a suggestion from our 13-year-old son. Yeah. He's like, you guys uh, still do that podcast? Did you hear about this one? We're like, no, we haven't. And he's like, oh, it's pretty good. And then uh, it was, it's pretty intriguing. So yeah, you're in for a treat as far so as i So who concerned. knew our 13-year-old son knew yeah. about a serial killer? Yeah. So this is one of the first ones I know what you're going into, but I don't know any of the details really. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so it might seem like we are recording on a regular basis, but we haven't done this recording in like a week and a half, right? Yeah. yeah we record a lot of them, uh, ahead of time just to make sure that we have fresh content available every Sunday. Um, cause you know, with the holidays, we just got through Thanksgiving. So there was things happening. So we pre-recorded. So now we're back on our normal track yeah. probably until Christmas. Then we'll have to pre-record again. Yeah. But, um, I feel like we haven't done this in forever. Yeah. It feels like it feels like it. So hopefully you don't screw it up. Or I hope not. There's a lot of pressure on me today. Yeah, I'm glad it's not me. And of course we get out of bed early. We do this. And then I'm sitting here like yawning my ass off before we start recording. And I said to Mike, I'm like, I better get all my yawns out before we start recording. Cause I I heard people don't like to hear yawns from the hosts on podcasts. It's not exactly the professional thing to do, <laughs> I'd say, because it's, it's, it's a little, you know, off-putting, I would say. It is. So they're all out. I'm good. I'm sharp. I've got my coffee. I got my crime. I've got my husband. Yeah. Hey, what else do you need besides crime and your husband? But that usually doesn't go well together. Well, on this podcast, it does. It does. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we just got through Thanksgiving and we're back at it. I was in New York City for the first time. Yeah. New York City was good, right? Yep. It was really really good me and my girlfriends walked about 34 miles in the few days that we were there you're not even joking like you tracked it with your fitbit Mm -hmm. no it was my apple watch but we walked um about nine and a half miles every day that's a lot of mileage yeah on your shoes and everything like your legs and you're not in pain or anything no we were a little sore though like my calves hurt because i was wearing like combat boots one day Mm. i tried to wear comfy shoes but you also want to look cute in the city um, but like my girlfriend's hips hurt, like not hurt, but you know, like your hip flexors were sore. Well, yeah, because you're using them like overuse mm-hmm. injuries is what you got to worry about. At yeah. That point. When I got out of bed in the morning, I was like, "Ooh, wow. Yeah, that's a little tight. You gals aren't exactly spring chickens anymore. either. We're young at heart. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're not like 70 or 80. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but you're not exactly 25 anymore. We so. aren't, but we keep active and it shows, yeah. but we had a great time. Saw. Statue of Liberty, saw some Broadway, saw a guy with a crack pipe in front of our apartment. <laughs> a little bit of everything. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. My favorite part, though, was Central Park. Did you smell any, like, piss in the subways or anything? Um, not in the subway, no. There was one street where near Times Square where I was like, it kind of smells like urine here. Yeah. Well. But no, the subway wasn't really stinky. Um, we only took the subway once um, to the Statue of Liberty and then back from Brooklyn. Hmm. Um, but other than that, we just walked our asses off and yeah, New York city is awesome. A lot of different opportunities there. It's a very like, um, high paced where the honking is just like over the top. So when you're watching a movie, you're like, why is it re honking? It's like, that's probably cause they took it off in New York. I mean, I'll be walking along the street and watching these people honk and there's nothing to honk at. <laughs> like traffic is in gridlock. There is nowhere to go. I'm like, where does this person want him to go? It's usually a cab. 
cabs it's, are pretty yeah and the uber like the uber drivers are very aggressive too really our driver to the airport i'm like sir he's gonna hit you oh my gosh i'm like i just don't care <laughs> You have to be hardcore to drive in New York City. I will tell you that. Yeah. And have a lot of patience. Hmm. We got there at like 11 a.m. on a Friday and it, uh, I think a half mile took like 20 minutes or something. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Well, that's it's New York stuff. I mean, I remember going there for work and I was, you know, New, in New Jersey, had to cross, cross Manhattan and get into Brooklyn for where I was staying. And it was like two o'clock and I told my customer, well, you know, I got to get going in a couple hours. He's like, no, you got to go now. Like you're going to be screwed if you don't go right now at two o'clock. <laughs> He's yeah. like, you know, if you're already left by four o'clock, you may as well say goodbye to being anywhere near your home by uh, dinner. Yeah, yeah. It's like, don't use car service. You either walk or you take a subway. Yeah. Those are your two options for me. So many people. Yeah. But Central Park. Oh, man. We got so lucky. The trees were changing still for fall. It was just incredible. Bono from U2 was there. Yes. I was in the park at the same time as Bono. He was there, I guess, with Hoda Kotb. From the Today Show. Yeah. I didn't see the segment, but we heard a marching band and we were like, what's that? A marching band in Central Park? And it turned out, I guess he got the band for Hoda for her birthday. And they had gone to Tavern on the Green, this really cute historical restaurant in the park. Uh, just a couple hours before we were there, they yeah. had been there. And you didn't see them or anything, huh? Not at all. Yeah, I mean, the park is huge. That's the city. Yeah, it's uh, things go on, hustle and bustle, and you don't even know. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, we're back and glad to be back. Yeah. Back on schedule, you know, getting our eating back on track. Yeah. Luckily, the walking saved me in New York. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm eating differently, drinking a hell of a lot more alcohol, and you know, only gained like a half of a pound. So. Yeah, great job. Then there's that. So yeah. that's good. Well, I got to, you know, kind of tighten things up too after Thanksgiving and all that. You know, I try to go mostly plant-based, but had a little turkey, had a little, I think, some sausage in the stuffing. First time I had sausage in like months. Probably. Yeah. Well, on the holidays, you got to let things kind of slide a little yeah. bit. Yeah, you got to live. Got to live. live. Right. I agree. Yeah. So anyway, we're going to dive right in. So Mike, I know... Um, you know this as the Amazon review killer. Yeah. That is how our son presented it to us. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I don't think you know anything about this case. No. Just as I didn't know anything about it when he said it. Right. So um, it all kind of gets started on November 3rd of 2016. Police had been called out. Well, they weren't called out. They were on the hunt for a missing couple. Um, and they found a 30-year-old girl named Kayla Brown chained inside the wall of a metal shipping container on a South Carolina property. Several month er- months earlier, her boyfriend, Charles Carver, had been shot and killed on this property. Police soon found two more bodies on the same property, which ended up belonging to 45-year-old real estate agent Todd Kolhap. Well, I mean, if you find dead people on somebody's property. There's a lot of finger pointing towards that person. You would think. Yeah. I mean, granted, there's, you know, large ass like ranches and stuff that God knows, you know, like think of the pioneer woman. They wouldn't know if a murder happened on a part of their property. Right. But in this case, you know, all arrows were pointing to Todd. Todd Colehap. 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 Got it. Hap, not hop. Hap. 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 <laughs> H-E-P. You got it, sir. Okay. okay. H-E-P-P, actually. Okay. So, Todd is an American serial killer who was convicted of killing seven people in South Carolina between 2003 and 2016. 
Todd was born Todd Christopher Sampsell on March 7th, 1971 in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. That's crazy. Like, how do these people like have I'm you know, different names all the time? Well, you'll see. It seems to happen quite a bit. Yeah. So he was born in our lovely state of Florida. But oh, don't Florida you worry. He, he wasn't raised here. Well, most people weren't. But yeah. you know, by the time they get no, here. No, they moved out oh, like, quickly. Gotcha. Okay. So he was born in Florida, gotcha. not raised in yeah, Florida. Unlike most. Whereas people. most people are born elsewhere and come to Florida. So um, he was mostly raised in South Carolina and Georgia. The bulk of this story takes place in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, so by age two, he his parents had divorced and he solely lived with his mother. Um, it sounds like his dad quickly moved to Arizona and he really never saw him for a period of time. So he was basically raised by his mother who then remarried and that's where his new name comes into play. I guess his stepfather had adopted him and he took on his last name, Colehep. Got, yes. got it. So that's a pretty simple story there. I don't get why uh, fathers just leave their kids or mothers or fathers or whoever. Like, right. I'd love to talk to one and just be like, so what's your like thinking? It's probably not a lot of things. It's probably just like out of sight, out of mind. I guess so. But under no circumstance would I go away from my small children. Yeah. Um, I mean, we have a cousin that's basically kind of pinned in South Dakota because she got divorced and that's where they were living. So she can't leave, you know, unless I mean, she, she could wants if she to wanted to leave her kids, be but, away from her kids. But yeah. yeah, it's like she doesn't want to be in South Dakota, but she's there because of her children. Well, she's a good mom and wants to <laughs> raise her kids. Exactly. So I guess later reports show that, you know, Todd did not have a very healthy relationship with his stepfather. They weren't very copacetic, if you want to say that. Um, so a lot of his um, younger years, he wanted to go to Arizona to live with his father. He really didn't know his father because he had moved away at age two. Just figured it'd be better than what his current situation was. Yep. Grass is always greener on the other side. So Todd was always known to be a troubled child. He showed aggressive behavior as early as nursery school, which I imagine is like preschool. Yeah. Um, he was destroying other kids' property. And one woman in an interview basically described it as that he didn't see his schoolmates as potential friends. He only saw them as competitors. Hmm. Um, so he, you know, did not pal around with people. He started counseling at age nine, and he was considered to be explosive and show a preoccupation with sexual content. Hmm. It's like at age nine? I mean, I don't know. Wow. But um, what was I doing at nine sexually? Let's see. Five for me, nothing because nine is basically third, fourth grade. Third, fourth grade. I, I had little crushes. I think I found a nudie magazine by then. I was like interested in boobs. I think that's about it. But yeah, definitely no sexual type stuff. I mean, I was you know curious about things, but nah, 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 yeah, definitely not. It's pretty that. young. Okay. So he had also shown to be cruel to animals. Um, he shot a dog with a BB gun and killed a goldfish with bleach. Those are never good signs. No. It, when children are being cruel to animals, we should really put our radars up and look at them. Well, you know, there is like curiosity side and then there's, you know, just doing things on purpose. That- yeah. These two things were done completely to be harmful to these animals. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the all these signs are pointing to him having a lot of troubles yeah. at a very young age. Yep. So, um, I guess at a young age, he spent three and a half months in a Georgia psychiatric hospital as an inpatient because of his inability to get along with other kids. So, his mom's struggling with him. He's moving on to adolescence. And in 1983, at age 12, he was sent to live with his biological father in Arizona. 
after his mother and stepfather separated. And from what I've heard, they separated and remarried several times. Hmm. Yeah. I know we've talked about this on a previous podcast, but I can't imagine like going through the whole thing of a divorce, which is like tumultuous, awful, time-consuming, expensive, and doing it multiple times. Well, separation's (laughs) different than divorce. No, I heard they divorced and remarried. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, that's a big pain in the ass. I mean, splitting your assets and everything, unless they had some kind of, you know, agreement beforehand. But that's... it's a lot. I mean, it's a lot just to kind of stay in a marriage and, you know, work on that. But I can only imagine being like, this marriage is done as far as I'm concerned. Me too. Okay. F you. All F right. You. Let, we're moving. Okay. Here's yeah. your stuff. Here's my stuff. I got to find a new place. You're finding a new place. Okay. Here's our lawyer fees. <laughs> and then two years later, I love you so much. Do you want to get married again? I mean, weirdos. Yeah. Just, and I mean, then no. doing it again. Yeah. We're done with this. Toxic. Like just, you know, that's a lot of passion. Like, I just love you so fucking much. I, just, I can't, I gotta be with you. I got to, babe. And then you're together again that's like fuck you i hate you exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. And i'm pointing at you and i don't actually hate you we didn't we weren't that way when we were 16 years old so i can't imagine being that way when we're adults no, but very hey, mild we, still, we love each other and a um, heck of a couple lovers we are i would say <laughs> and uh besides that i mean yeah we, we're pretty even keeled yeah we are i'd say yeah so you know i think they were probably thinking you know his her mom was his mom was probably at his her wits end Let's see how you do with your father in Arizona. Try it out. Mm -hmm. So um, Todd worked various local jobs in Arizona. Um, He began showing interest in his father's hobby of collecting weapons. Uh, His father taught him how to blow things up and make bombs. You know, I did look into bombs when I was a kid. Uh, Just a little bit. There was this thing called the Anarchist Cookbook. Um, and I only looked into it because you could. And then people are like, look, you can make a, it'll tell you how to make a pipe bomb. And it was, I had to look at it. And if somebody told me that, I was like, well, I had to look at it. I never well, actually of course. Did. I mean, that's but, just curiosity. I mean, kids love fireworks and explosives and things like that because they like the whole cause and effect thing. Yes, exactly. Like a little kid might want to slap somebody because they want to see something happen that they controlled. Exactly. And that's, you know, eventually you learn to control that, but it doesn't sound like this fella did at all. And there's nothing wrong with with showing your kids weapons and things like that in a re- like we talked about before in a responsible way controlled environment in a controlled environment you know but i don't know that todd was the person to be showing these things Probably to not. yeah not the ter- not the person um so despite their bond over these explosive and weapons or re- relationship deteriorated did, oh that's a tough one the relationship deteriorated <laughs> deteriorated <laughs> deteriorated that is a tough one um because his dad was preoccupied i guess with the ladies he mm. was a ladies man and you know his 12 year old son may have been cramping his style who knows yeah no, okay well i mean he tried to leave him once and uh, that wasn't successful so it's like well i'm just gonna leave you here at the house and you can learn how to make bombs while i go try to get laid do your thing son here's some gunpowder mm. and a pipe right um, Todd's father would later say that the only emotion his son was capable of was anger. It's not good. No, not, not at all. And then, of course, the grass is getting dull and brown on this side of the fence. He wants to go back with his mother. Sure. So um, now we're moving into 1986. It's November 25th. Todd is still in Arizona with his uh, father. He's age 15. His father's out of town. And Todd decides to kidnap a 14-year-old neighbor girl. Oh, no. Jeez, man. Yep. In Tempe, Arizona, he apprehended her with a 22 caliber revolver. Did I guess he, it was his father's gun. Did he know this girl? 
it was the neighbor, okay. so he he did know her. Yes, okay. from what I had briefly read, yeah. she was into some other boy and not him, and his father wasn't home. Those two reasons caused him to do this. Yeah, you know, I'm bored and might pop some popcorn and watch a movie, or you know, kidnap the 14 year old neighbor. It's competitive nature. You can't have somebody out there that wants somebody else more than mm-hmm. you. No yeah. way. Sure. So he Jeez. takes this girl at gunpoint with his father's revolver and brings her back to his father's empty house because he's out of town. He tied her up, he duct taped her mouth shut, and he raped her. Oh, my God. A 15-year-old boy. Holy shit, that's terrible. Unbelievable. Oh, my God. So um, he walked her home, and as he was walking her home, he was threatening that if you say anything, I will kill your younger siblings, and I will kill your whole family. Of course. And now, was this his first sexual time also? Like, I don't, yeah, that sure I don't know. I mean, it, I'm but... sure he was like, you know, watching porn and masturbating like no one else's business, but... Oh, yeah. For a contact with a person, possibly. Yeah, that's sickening. Can you imagine your first time being a rape at gunpoint? No, no. Sick. Yeah. So um, the girl happened to get home and her, from what I read, her five-year-old brother had been taught the whole thing of like what to do in an emergency. Wow. And she wasn't home. So he was getting nervous. Apparently, her five-year-old brother had called the police. And while he was on the phone explaining that his sister wasn't there and he was worried, she walked into the door. So she got on the phone with those police and told them what happened. Oh, awesome. Thank God. Because who knows? She may have been... You know, She's 14 years old. She was just threatened at gunpoint. That her whole family would be killed. Of course. By this crazy person. Yeah. Right next door. Whatever. And Odds are she would have never said anything and he would have gotten away with this. She would have had some time to think about it and been like, no, man, good for her. Exactly. What a brave girl. Yeah. So Todd was pled... Uh, Todd pled guilty... Pled guilty, a 15-year-old. A 15-year-old. Pled guilty to only the kidnapping charge. I guess the other charges were dropped. I mean, it's like he raped her at gunpoint. Um, He was sentenced to 15 years in prison and registered as a sex offender. Court records showed that he was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and had an above-average IQ. I don't know anything about IQs, what's normal, what's not. His was 118. Okay. So that means nothing to me. You know, if you just said that to me, I would imagine that's pretty low. I would think that too. Huh. But I don't. I don't know anything I don't about even it. Know. I, it's Maybe not, it's because my IQ is low. Probably. Both of us. <laughs> that's Odds are good. Uh, both of us are like, hey, that's pretty high. <laughs> I'd say 95 is about average. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. But, um, and they don't even do that anymore. Like, yeah, know, I don't uh, know. I've never taken an IQ test. Right. Like, why do we even do that? I don't know. I hate tests anyway. You I do. think tests are bullshit. I think you're just fine the way you are. I'm, I'm damn right. I'm fine. Yeah. In every way you can say it. So the judge considered him to be very bright and should have been academically advanced, though was instead behaviorally and emotionally dangerous, and rehab would likely be unhelpful. It's like, okay, so we're just not even going to try? This judge is deciding this? Apparently. Is he like a health expert, like a mental health expert? (laughs) I'm not quite sure how that works. I I would imagine any mental health expert would say, yeah, let us work with him. Well, at least give the person a chance. Yeah, yeah. instead of this judge. Some judges, man, I tell you. I don't know. I mean, whatever the circumstances were, who knows everything. But uh, yeah, give the kid a chance. Right. I mean, he's only 15. Right. Todd's probation officer felt the same and felt that Todd believed that the world owed him something. Todd's attorney in the case later went on to say that, this is ridiculous, he did not feel that his client would go on to harm others in the future. Oh, well, the judge said mm. he doesn't need anything, and then the lawyer says that he's not going to harm anybody, so I guess we're good. What what makes you think that, sir? Yeah. He just raped a girl at 
age he, 15. He's a lawyer. So, you know, lawyers know You know, everything. he knows. Yeah. That, that's ridiculous. How do you, how the hell do you even come out and say that? I don't know. It's, but it's absolutely absurd. Like, I mean, thinking in the future, why would you want your name attached to saying this person will never harm anybody? Well, most likely he's not going to harm anybody when his entire history is harming something. Exactly. You know, you know, spending months in a psychiatric hospital at a young age. I mean, odds are pointing in the direction that this person is going to go on to have some major problems. Yeah. And this is not like in 1950. This is mm-hmm. like 20. You know, it's in the 80, the late 80s, the early aughts. Yeah. Oh, late, late, late 80s. 80s. Okay. This um, rape happened in 1986 and end of 1986. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You said that. Yeah. So um, he during his time in prison, he had been c- cited for violent behavior. But I guess after he turned 20, he had no further issues and from what I had read, was a, quite a model uh, prisoner. Hmm. So he, he did have some issues, you know, getting through his, like, young teens or middle teens. But then after he had 20, he was on the straight and narrow in prison. Well, I mean, if you're in prison, you don't have a lot of options as far as, you know, people to assault and such, uh, right. at least of the other sex, you know. Right. So that's, uh, yeah, he was probably just trying to be good to get out. So after spending nearly half of his life in prison at this point, he's Jeez. released at age 30. On November 24th, 2001. So he was released after serving 14 years and he moved to South Carolina to be near his mom. And that's basically where everything in the story happens of South Carolina. Okay. So during his time in prison, um, he was pretty academically active. He earned his bachelor's degree in computer science from Central Arizona College. And then from January 2002... To November 2003, he worked as a graphic designer for a company in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And in 2003, he began studying in Greenville Technical College. The following year, he transferred to the University of South Carolina Upstate. And in 2006, he graduated with a BS in Business Administration and Marketing. Hmm. So, so a couple of bachelors, one in coding and one in marketing. Exactly. Computer science and then um, business and marketing. I will say that computer science is significantly harder than marketing um, as far as getting a degree. You know, just to the average person, I would say. Well, he had plenty of time on his hands in, in prison. So sure. one, well one has lots of time to study. Yeah. Nothing else to do. Exactly. And I guess he was academically bright. So maybe things came easy to him and it wasn't that hard. Most people set up in that sort of situation would be very successful exactly and he goes on to be very successful so downplaying his felony charge on his application he was able to get his real estate license hey uh todd how about this uh felony oh that oh Oh, you know kids you know kids will be kids yeah i was 15 i happened to you know just Put some somebody. duct tape on this girl's mouth. Hold a gun to her head. Yeah, she was fourteen. I kidnapped her and raped her. I mean, you know, it's come on. Who who hasn't done this? It's like, well, actually, we haven't. Okay, well, anyways, let's talk uh, about Todd. My... The majority of the population has not done this. Yeah, it sounds like you're a piece of shit, Todd. No, no, I'm good. Oh, okay. I'll take your word for it. So it must have been that they did not look into this at all. Yeah, I guess I, I say the timing again. Like when, you know, this is 80s again? No, no, oh, no. now no, it's 90. No, we're in 2006. Oh, okay. Because, yeah. Okay. After his sentencing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He wasn't released until 2001. Mm, well. Then he's going back to school, doing degrees yeah. and whatnot. So um, in 2006, that's when he graduated with his second BS. Got it. So now he's applying for his real estate license. And on June 30th, 2006, he gets it. Mm-hmm. So what he, I guess, said that his status as a sex offender was a misunderstanding with his girlfriend. 
and Which, they bought it. Well, you know, he was 15 and she was 14. So, sure, you know, sure. I can see how he would sell that story. Hence the reason why I said they clearly did not look into it. Yeah. Because had they, they would have saw that this man just got out of friggin' prison. Well, and when you see a sex offender, you want to assume that, you know, it's maybe it was some squabble. Oh, not me. I assume the worst. Of course. Yeah, I'm not letting my kids be near it. But if it's like, okay, well, hopefully this was just a thing where they were, you know, young. But I would say probably the bulk of it is not that. No, you're right. So, um, no, if I saw that my neighbor was a sex offender, my children would be under very close watch yeah. or I might not buy that house at all. Yeah. Um, so he gets his real estate, uh, license. He built a firm employing a dozen agents and was recognized as a top selling agent in the Carolina region. Wow. He also got his private pilot license. He purchased several properties out of state in May of 2014. He purchased uh, 95 acres of land in Woodruff, South Carolina. I mean, you can see how expensive this is. The fence around the property alone was $80,000. So he's making good cash at this point. On the outside, he looks like a model citizen. He was an avid collector of firearms. Um, He loves fast cars, you know, the planes. He liked things that made him feel powerful. Yeah. Very macho powerful. Okay. So... um, you know, just hearing what people have described him as a customer who sold her home to Todd, described him as very outgoing and professional, though he often spoke of his firearms and casually used sexual innuendos during conversations. Another woman who had assisted one of his employees described him as angry and condescending. So, you know, a lot of these guys are. Yeah. That's usually the people that get the most ahead in life, unfortunately. Are the condescending assholes that just tell other people how to do things and mm-hmm. don't care about your feelings, right. plow you over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most, you know, sell your soul to the devil to make money. Yeah. Most, most very successful people are like that. Yeah. That ain't me, sir. I'd rather live modestly and not be an asshole. Right. That's just my MO. Yeah. Um, a banker who worked with Todd said he often watched porno movies, even while at work. <laughs> you know, he's multitasking. Right, right. Well, you gotta... He's get... getting his ja- jerking off happening as he's closing deals, yeah, you yeah. know? Right. I mean, it's it maybe as he's closing deals. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah, tell me you're going to sign. <laughs> <laughs> nice, Mike. Thanks. We yeah. all know how that works. Right. So um, now we're kind of going back in time. Well, we're not kind of going back in time. We are going back in time. Back in time. (laughs) That's from Back to the Future. I I know. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's November 6, 2003, and a customer found four people shot dead inside a Superbike Motorsports uh, shop, which was a motorcycle shop in Chesney, South Carolina. The business was family owned, and the victims included the owner, a 30-year-old Scott Ponder, 30-year-old service manager Brian Lucas, 26-year-old mechanic Chris Sherbert, and Scott's 52-year-old mother, who was their bookkeeper, Beverly Guy. Uh-huh. They were all found shot dead inside the shop. Wow. Um, so I watched this video, and it was um, an interview with Scott's wife. It was very sad. So Scott's wife, Melissa, had moved to South Carolina from Arizona. Kind of bizarre, because, you know, that's what Todd had done. Mm-hmm. Um, to be with her husband. They were married January of 2002. Good like year. Us. Same year we were married. That's right. We were married May of 2002. So Scott had always been into motorcycles, and his wife said he was basically destined to open the shop. Just absolutely loved everything about it. Um, Melissa described him as gentle with the ability to make people feel comfortable, which she said was part of his success as a business owner. People just liked him. Yeah. 
Um, the couple had just found out that Melissa was pregnant with their first child on November 4th, just two days before the, sh- the shooting. Um, Melissa had an OBGYN appointment and she thought that Scott couldn't make it. He was working, which often happened with my appointments. You know, you had to work, couldn't yeah, get out. I had a meeting like last second meeting. Yeah. So she would go to her appointment alone, just like I, I attended many of my appointments alone. But while she was waiting in the waiting room, he surprised her and was able to make it. And they went in and got to hear the baby's heartbeat, which is just That's like special. so magical and special, especially not to discount further children. But when it's your first pregnancy, it's like, whoa, yeah, you can't even believe it. It's because you're not showing. Well, you you don't really every- feel like anything. But then you're hearing this sound inside of yourself that like, Holy crap, there's a human inside there's of life me. Inside yeah, of me. it's it's incredible. Mm-hmm. So they got to experience that together. Um and uh you know, just being so excited. You're just thinking about your future together like now you're a couple and but you're going to be a family. Like, you know. You start the family yeah, at that point. Exactly. It's, uh, it's interesting. It's so, a special time. It is, but you know, sadly 2 days later, um November 6th, the morning of the attack, all seemed fine and normal. Scott headed to work as Melissa was getting ready for her own job. She recalls passing the motorcycle shop on her way into work and honking at Scott as he stood on the side of the building. Scott waved and blew her a kiss, and this was the last time Melissa saw him alive. Oh man. Yep. So um, she goes to work as normal, and at around 3 p.m., Melissa gets a call from a concerned friend who had heard about a shooting at the bike shop. So Melissa immediately races over and finds, you know, her worst nightmare. There's 10 to 12 police cops or police cars with their lights on, blocking off the street, blocking off the location. She gets a call. What happened at the the shop? I don't know. What are Uh, you talking about? What? Yeah. So she starts to just rush out of her car, race there. My husband owns the shop and they, you know, grab her and escort her home where she's now just waiting and not knowing exactly what happened there. So she remembers um, anxiously waiting at at her home. She's standing at the glass front doors as a coroner drives up. Like your worst freaking nightmare. Uh, Two coroners enter the house and ask Melissa to have a seat, and they break the devastating news that, you know, not only is her husband and the other shop owners or the workers um, killed, but also her mother-in-laws is also dead. Yeah. Just awful. Might be good news for some people, but... Oh, Mike, that's terrible. I'm sorry. Okay, I had to say it. It was no, you didn't. Okay. That's a ch- very cheap one about the mother-in-law. Yeah, I know. Okay. So the cause of well, death. I, mean, I would be more sad that my wife was dead than my mother-in-law. Well, of course, but yeah. still, if I found out you were dead, I'd be devastated. But if I found out your mom was dead, I'd be equally well, not equally. Equally, what the fuck's wrong with you? Well, I love you. Want to marry my mom? Are you crazy? <laughs> I I wouldn't be equally, but I would be devastated. I'd be sad also, but yeah, I mean, just yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. Okay, Mike. So the cause of death for all four was gunshot wounds, and investigators believe that the gunman entered the shop from the back and killed Sherbert as he worked, then moved to the middle showroom where he killed Beverly Guy and Lucas in the main doorway and Ponder in the parking lot. Seven months later, Melissa gave birth to her and Scott's son. Um, She named him Scott Jr., and she always wanted her son to know who her father was. So she spoke of him often, you know, often showed pictures. Uh, they would celebrate his birthday. No matter what day of the week it was, she would get her son out of school early and they'd go and celebrate their father's birthday, That's which nice. I thought was super sweet. Yeah. Um. So they had not identified any suspects. No one had been near or in the shop. No one saw anything suspicious. That sucks. So it's basically a dead end at this point. They don't know who did this. Wow. But then there's like a really crazy 
like loop or twist in the case. Um, in 2004, um, sometime a year later, the police called Melissa down to the station. She goes in. She doesn't know what they're calling her down for. Maybe to give her some news on what's going on. No, they tell her that they've obtained her baby boy's diaper gotten a DNA sample and that it didn't match Scott's and now she's sus like prime suspect whoa and she's like what wow so she's so adamant she's like no you need to exhume my husband's body and get a new DNA sample because like, there's this is no nuts. way I'm not banging anybody else this is definitely my <laughs> my husband's <laughs> exactly it'd be like somebody saying that to me it's like um no sir unless I'm the virgin Mary I'm not pregnant with anybody else or like, from anybody else. Can you imagine the audacity of the, I mean, I, maybe I got to save this story until a couple seconds, but I have the feeling that I'd be absolutely out of my mind mad and be like, these guys are fucking idiots to come to me and question whether my son is my son from my, my husband. Exactly. And now you're suspect number one. Oh my God. So she's just like, this is insane. So it turns out she had to wait a month, not knowing what's, what the hell is going on. And then she gets a call back and was told that, oops, sorry, we, we mislabeled Scott and Brian Lucas's blood vials. Oh my God. So they're looking at Brian's DNA, not, Scott's and this is the kind of thing like when you get those results be like wait are we sure okay let's go test it again or test the other blood to be like okay well maybe we did mislabel let's test the other person's blood too but they're looking at Brian's and they're like oops sorry human error man humans anytime humans are involved Mm -hmm, of course I mean I get that we all do make mistakes but I guess this just like everything you know that Melissa had been through she just said I'm going back to my hometown she took her and her son back to Arizona well yeah because I'm sure a bunch of people you know in the months that they were waiting we're like oh she killed her right. own husband and all of a sudden you're the murderer the wife murderer yeah and i think she just wanted a fresh start anyway just back to a new location where n- you know not everyone not just looks at her and thinks like uh and just remembers what happened you yeah. know always being associated with just that moment yeah right um so now you know we're going from 2003 2004 back to 2015 so it's uh, December 22nd, 2015, and 29-year-old Johnny Coxie and his 25-year-old wife, Megan, are reported missing. They were a very vulnerable couple. They dealt with drug addiction. I guess their son had been taken away from them as well. Um, Sounds like our neighbors. Yeah, that's actually exactly who I thought about. <laughs> yeah. Our neighbor, three doors down, has some major troubles. She's a drug addict. Her daughter's been taken away, brought back. I mean, we ourselves a couple weeks ago watched uh, like a mental breakdown in the driveway. It's on the way to taking our daughter to school. It was. And we live in a nice subdivision. Like it's not. It's not a piece of shit. Yeah, no. It's it's a nice subdivision. It's normal, like uh, middle class homes or something. It's gated. It's you know we don't live in like the the. ghetto right so it was kind of like just shocking to see but you know i did i immediately thought about johnny and melissa um so they're vulnerable and todd had known them and offered them a manual labor job on his property i guess the coxie couple came to the property and promptly fatally shot johnny in the abdomen just upon meeting him pretty much basically (laughs) pulls up on the property gets out of the car boom you're dead holy shit yep and um, he took Megan into a container where he held her captive for about a week. Todd later said that Megan was acting like a caged animal while held captive. Imagine um, that. Sir, she is like a caged animal, you psycho. Yeah. So. Oh, he, and I mean, uh, to kind of gloss over the whole motorcycle thing, I imagine that's going to come back at some point. 
the oh this will all come back yeah, yeah. okay just mm-hmm. i mean i know we stopped talking about it after we talked yeah about no we're girl. gonna come back don't yeah. you worry okay so he just basically says willy-nilly she's acting like a caged animal so i put a bullet into the back of her head oh my god an absolute monster i mean yeah i not no surprise at this point so he dug two graves for Johnny and Megan on his property and buried them and just, you know, headed back to work as a real estate agent, just unbothered, went about his day, went about his business. And nobody would really know because they were kind of druggies and off on their own. Mm-hmm. But people did because they were reported missing. Uh-huh. Yep. Okay. So, but they didn't. Well, they had the the child, not with them, right? The child was taken away from them oh, okay. by social services. Got it. Um, the case was cold and no leads. So Todd again got away with murder and it was later found out that Todd had frequented a waffle house where Megan was a waitress. So maybe that's how he knew her, Hmm. but you know, he made the waitresses at this waffle house feel very uncomfortable. He left them large tips and just often tried to get them to come back to his home with him. Just really, you know, one of those guys just, there's like the flirty banter some people do. And then you get your creep on vibe where you're like, Oh no. This guy's bad news. Big creep vibe. Yeah, just thinking paying will be more than enough to, Mm -hmm. you know, using his money to try to get, you know, girls to do what he wants. Yeah. So I guess the waitress at the waitresses at the Waffle House complained to the owner and he then switched it where when Todd came in, only male staff could serve him. Ah. Like, you know, you're a real slime when the owner of a Waffle House has to get his male staff to serve you. Yeah. Because, I mean, you know, waitresses and stuff are used to a certain amount of flirting and stuff. But sure. They know that yeah. they've got to put on their charm to yeah. get, get better tips. tips. Yeah. Some guys just want a little bit of fun and whatever. And it's just like, okay, I'll give you a good tip. Okay. It's a, it's an agreement, but when it gets past, mm-hmm. just and you know, wild. when it gets past, like that, again, that creep vibe, the, yeah. it goes up and you're like, no, he can only have male servers. And I'm sure he stopped going shortly Ugh, thereafter. What a creep. Yeah. So now we're moving into September 4th, 2016. The family of 32-year-old Charles, or Charlie, he went by Charlie, Charlie David Carver contacted the police, letting them know that their son was missing. Charlie's dad, Chuck, had described his son as very caring and helpful, someone who would give you their last $2 that they had or the shirt off their back. Charlie would text his dad often on a nearly daily basis, often about sports, and Chuck said that the last text he got from Charlie was about football. It was like a funny cartoon, and he keeps it on his phone. You know, to this day, he still has it. So kind of like our son and me, and yeah, we, we always talk sports and stuff. Exactly. So um, with Charlie was Kayla Brown. She's also missing. Um, I guess they were kind of a newer couple, but they kind of fell hard and fell fast. They were already living together at this point. Um, Chuck, Charlie's dad, had said that just five days before he had been shopping at Walmart and bumped into the couple. That was the first time he had ever met Kayla. But it was also, you know, the last time he saw his son, I think. Um, So Charlie's girlfriend is reported missing as well. Her family and friends were unable to reach her. They're like leaving notes on her car. They're texting her. Everything is going unanswered. But even more concerning, kind of like our last story we talked about, their dog was left unattended. Ah. No food or water at the house. And they're like, they're, they would never leave their dog without food and water. Yeah. Like anybody that has a dog. Wouldn't yeah. Do that. So you know that they were taken against their will or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or they were planning on being back. Exactly. 
Um, and then Charlie's friend began receiving odd messages on Facebook asking him for money for drugs. And he's like, Charlie has never been known to use drugs. So this is not right. Just one of those people, you know, like, no, yeah, no, this is not. It'd be like if somebody got a message from you. Hey, uh, can I get some money for drugs? It's like, what? Right. Who? Yeah. Like, I need some smack. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, number one, we don't say smack. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I was talking at work. We're such dorks. I'm like, so, like, cocaine is crack? Is Like, you smoke it? What do you do? Do you inject it? Like, I have no idea. So then you, like, Google, how do you, inge- how do you ingest crack? You're like, ah, oh, shit, I'm on the <laughs> Now DA I'm on list. the list. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> and yes, uh, crack is cocaine. Okay. Same and then thing. why do we call it crack versus cocaine? Because it's, like, a different form of it. Crack so, is like a rock and cocaine yeah. is powder. Right. And you only snort cocaine? Um, I suppose you could eat it too if you wanted to. I okay. mean, get it into your system anyway, but the fastest way is into the nose. And then crack, you you can like um, inject it. You can melt it. In a, yeah. <laughs> I can't believe I'm having this conversation. Oh, no, yeah. I know a lot about drugs. <clears throat> well, I did see that crack pipe in New York, so I'm like a hardened you know, yeah. person now. Right. It's, so I know yeah. all about this. Heat it up and you can inhale it or you can inject it if you want. I mean, I personally, I'd probably inhale rather because injections. Ugh. Sounds awful. The whole thing sounds awful. Yeah, just stay away from drugs. So regardless, this was not like Charlie. Charlie was wasn't a drug user. This just did not sound like him. There were also strange updates on their um, accounts that they were expecting a baby. They had bought a house. They had gotten married. And people are like, what? So he's manipulating these accounts. Like, what the hell is going on? So when authorities gained access to Charlie and Kayla's Facebook accounts, they found messages between the two about working on Todd's property. I guess in late August, Charlie and Kayla were contacted by Todd about potential work. Kayla knew Todd. He, she had met him before. They would chat on Facebook. You know, he was an acquaintance. They would pick up extra money. I don't know that Charlie ever worked for him, but Kayla had got extra money from him working on his property, okay. cleaning, whatever. Um, for weeks, Charlie and Kayla were nowhere to be found. 30 days into the search, Charlie's dad, Chuck, just had this sinking gut feeling. He sat the family down. He's like, your brother might never be coming home. He just had this terrible thought that this isn't like him. Something terrible has happened. From a guy that's used to texting his dad all the time about just random stuff. Like, you wouldn't think. He sounded like a nice guy. He he was, like, smiling big in every photo. Just seemed like a jolly, happy, nice person. Yeah, that kind of person doesn't do this sort of thing. No, no. He wouldn't torture his family like this and just disappear off the face of the earth. So, um, in October of 2016, they still don't know where they are. Little do they know that on August 31st, Charlie and Kayla, just like the Coxie couple, comes together to the property to get some extra cash. And um, Todd's there. He tells them to wait outside while he goes into his house to grab something. When he comes out of the house, he's holding a gun and shot Charlie in the chest three times as Kayla stood just in absolute horror watching like, her boyf- boyfriend get shot dead. Like, is this some kind of a joke or something? Like, you know, or, or am I in a show? Are you guys like giving me some kind of you know, punk moment or something? Like, you just shot my boyfriend for no mm-hmm. reason? And it all happens so fast because they pull in. They're basically just getting out of their car to get, clean some houses. Right. Whatever. Get oh. some cash. Jeez. Hey, guys, I'll be right back. Goes into the house, comes out with a gun, and boom, your boyfriend is now dead. Oh, my God. So he takes her, who's basically in absolute shock, and shoves her into a shipping container just like he did Megan and chained her to the wall inside. 
So Kayla remained in captivity for 65 days. Wow. She was tortured but with sexual violence, sometimes raped multiple times a day. He would take her shackles from her neck and feet but keep her hands bound between 1 and 3 p.m. each day. He would take her into his home. Now, I say home. This His actual home was not on this property. It was just like some... Kind of, it was like a two-story building, but it wasn't finished. Like you could see the beams and the the wood and such like that. Mm. And he had like this liquor cabinet. Holy shit! This guy must have been a hardcore drinker. Wow. Like we're talking like hundreds of bottles on these shelves. Did he keep Kayla here at this? He place? kept Kayla on this Woodruff property in the shipping container. Jesus Christ! Which was near this two-story like barn-looking building. Yeah. And you could see he had a bed in there, <clears throat> but like it's just so friggin creepy because in this building you there's like multiple points where you could see where her chains were while she was in this building oh man just an absolute fucking sicko yeah. like who adheres areas to their wall so that they can chain humans well, well apparently todd does yeah so he would take her out of the shipping container for a couple hours a day he would take him or take Kayla up to this room where he would force her to perform whatever sick sexual acts he wanted um, and then feed her and basically take her back to the shipping container. She was allowed to use the restroom once a day, oh which God. how the hell does that work? I'm sorry if I have to go to the bathroom, I have to go. That wouldn't work for you. No, that would not work for me because I, I mean, pee she has no choice 50 times a day. But this poor girl is kept like a tortured animal yeah basically an animal here i'm going to use you and then you get to eat and then i'm going to put you back in your yep, cage. an animal we would never treat our animal like that no. you know ours is treated just like a member of the family so she was given a pot of water to bathe in every other day and she was told by todd that he owned her and she was his possession todd would then leave kayla in the container and from what i read she was left in the dark Oh, my God. Like, she's got to be going out of her mind. Out of her mind. Like, this is something that we would do in, like, the prison system to torture a prisoner. Well, no, they wouldn't even let you. No, now it's it's not even allowed. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, back in the day before things were tightened, like, it could make a person crazy. It's cruel punishment. And the odd thing was, in this shipping container, you could see, like, there were, like, these plastic storage bins of, like, crackers and bread and such. And then there were books. It's like, oh, she has books, but and no light. So, yeah, I don't know if she was in the dark all the time because there were coloring coloring books, too, in there. But it sounds like a lot of the time she was in the dark. She was basically forced to sit virtually all day long and sleep on dog beds that he had lined up. There were like three large dog beds lined up as like her quarters. Well, that just shows that she, he viewed her as a pet. It's sick. Oh, and then you'll see he his nickname for her was his his little kitten. Yeah. Ugh. What a disgusting human. Yeah. Um, he Kayla later told Dr. Phil in an interview that Todd's hope was that Kayla would develop Stockholm syndrome where you basically fall in love with your captor. Sure. Um, and he had planned to build a house for the two where his good kitten, that's what he called her would stay in a soundproof room. You know what the key to a successful relationship is? Chaining your loved one to the wall in a soundproof room. Like, the thing is, this guy probably could have gotten some idiotic woman to be into him. 
you know, but instead he wanted to like own, and I guess it's the power thing. Oh, like, he had lots of money. He didn't want to have to be like whining and dining and stuff and just like, no, no he I'm just a, wants a sex life. Yeah, I'm going to own you. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, he doesn't want to have to take a girl out to dinner and charm her and be a normal human being. No, he wants to chain her by the neck to the wall of a shipping container. I have the power over her. It's, so it's, it sounds like Kayla's arrived. But um, from what I did, yes, she was talking to Dr. Phil in an interview, so she did, thank God. But it was later found that he had already pre-dug a grave and was likely days, if not hours, from killing Kayla. Really? Yes. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. So unbeknownst to Todd, police were using cell phone triangulation and found Kayla's phone pinging in Spartanburg County. Property records showed that this belonged to Todd Kohlhepp. Oh, my God. Like, what a... I mean thank god but why wouldn't you check for that thank god <laughs> you think? being a computer science guy you would think that mm-hmm. he would know i think he was so pompous that he thought he was just above the law yeah like he couldn't like get- he could explain it be like mm-hmm. oh yeah she came over here at some point and i dropped yeah like this oh you don't need to see it yeah she house. cleaned she cleaned my house uh-huh must have lost it yeah, she probably or- dropped it and somewhere in there you know who knows what that yeah. fat asshole thought mm-hmm. oh he's so sloppy and gross on November 3rd, police came to Todd's house in Spartanburg, which was 20 minutes from his Woodruff property. So, like I said, he didn't actually live on that property. Yeah. In the meantime, another group of investigators go to the Woodruff property where they have a search warrant. There they find this 30 by 15 shipping container where they can hear Kayla on the outside, on the inside banging on the oh, wall. Thank God. Um, they had to cut through five locks and there's like a video. It's unbelievable. There's them cutting through these locks and entering the container where you could see Kayla chained oh against God. the back wall by her neck. Her legs were bound at the ankles and her hands were bound as well. Um, investigators asked her, do you know where your buddy is, is what they said. And she just simply said he was shot. And meanwhile, the officers are, are at Todd's house. They're radioed and notified of what's being found. And this pompous asshole is sitting back in like this chair by his front door. And they're like, we found Kayla. And he's like, what? And they're like, we found Kayla in the, she's in the shipping container on your property, on your property. And we know she told us that you killed Charlie. And he's like, sir, I don't know what you're talking about. Continued to deny, 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 deny. They're like, okay. And he's like, I think I need a lawyer. He's like, yeah, you do. Now let's get, get going. Sure. So he gets them, you know, takes down, he gets them taken down to the station. And meanwhile, they find the bodies of Johnny and Megan on his property as well. Yeah, of course. So he's arrested and charged with three murders and the imprisonment of Kayla Brown. He hoped to work out a deal, and he let the authorities know that he had a lot more to tell them. Meanwhile, they have no idea. This case was cold since, what was it, 2003. Mm-hmm. You know, we're in, what are we, 2016 at this point? Right. So 13 years they have no idea who shot these four people in the motorcycle, the motorcycle shop. Yeah. So he's sitting in the interrogation room and confesses. Well, I mean, he does have that bargaining chip. He can be like, I can tell you more or I can tell you less. Like if you, you know, being a businessman, he knows that they want information to be able to close some cases. He's like, you will be able to close a cold case if I tell you more information and I'll agree to this, you mm-hmm. know, these terms. So Exactly. Yeah. So... Um, when he was talking about the motorcycle shop murders, he said, so simply, I watched the, the interrogation. I shot the mechanic twice. They heard gunshots in the back and they were coming this way to figure out what happened. I had three people in front of me. I dropped them all. That was one big building and I cleared it in under 30 seconds. 
the the like guy said, so you, awesome. you did what now? Like, that's what the officer said. You did what now? And he goes, you guys would have been proud. <laughs> like, uh, as he's chuckling. Like, he's one of them. Like, yeah, guys, mm-hmm. I shot people. You love shooting people, probably, you know. Ugh. I'm sorry, but you guys would have been proud. What a like, scumbag. you're sick. He's one of those guys that like, hey, I know I can kill people. You know, man? like, he I know I know how to kill people. I know how to get make people disappear. Yeah. As he sat at the table chuckling, looking for validation from these officers, he said, I had to wait. One of the guys wasn't there. I had to wait for him to come in. Finally, all four showed up. He knew the details from this crime that, you know, sometimes people confess just to get more credit for even what they did because they're sick in the head. But he knew details that were never released to the public. So they knew they had their guy. Yeah. And he he did fit the profile probably of somebody who would admit to something that he didn't do. Of course. He wanted that attention. Notoriety mm-hmm. and such. Yeah. Yep. So the family members of the shootings were notified, including Scott's widow, Melissa. According to Todd's mom, he had tried to return a motorcycle there. I guess he had paid like $9,000 for a motorcycle, didn't know what the hell he was doing, and tried to return it. The guys at the shop, they were just like jovial, funny guys. They were laughing and making jokes or whatever. Making fun of them all the time. Basically, yeah. (laughs) Like, wait, wait, buddy. So you bought a motorcycle, you didn't have any idea how to use it. it. And I'm sure it was custom. It was a bike shop, so they probably built some custom things. Like, no, it's custom. You can't return it. Yep. But it was purely harmless banter and most people would have just laughed Mm -hmm. but not todd no you don't make fun of him he uh thought they needed to pay and he went back and he said before he left the uh, store he shot each victim in the head before he left what a fat stupid asshole oh it's just awful so a search of todd's property found various weapons and ammunition even in the shipping container where kayla was kept there was ammunition and, and weapons interesting maybe you wanted a reminder oh it, there was weapons in the container where she was well, in? yeah in the container so she couldn't get to him i guess she was chained to the wall so, by her neck imagine that looking at these guns you could get to somehow uh-huh. and like not being able to get to them that's um, probably just another way to fuck with her so then he had told his mother that there were more victims than what had been discovered when she asked how many he responded with you don't have enough fingers during interrogation, he... You're so cool to, like, just shoot people. You're not a fucking tough guy. You're a piece of shit. Like, anybody could do that. Anybody could walk mm-hmm. up to somebody and shoot them. It doesn't make you strong or powerful it's or It's the anything. opposites. Yeah. You're, you're a scumbag that just <laughs> thinks that you, like, get off on this little thing. I mean, anybody... We don't do this because we're decent human beings. Yes, exactly. Um, he claimed to have shot another victim in Arizona... Um, on November 18th, 2016, Tempe police began to investigate his claim, searching through unsolved murders for the past three decades, because, of course, he was there as a teenager, yeah. um, focusing on 83 to 86 when he was there. Um, but they could not find anything that pinned him to any of these murders or, or missing people. So there's something out there that hasn't been found. Or, or maybe he's, he's lying. just lying. It's, it's, it's possible. Sure. We don't know. Um, so, but they did say on November 25th, 2016, police in Greer, South Carolina announced that Todd was a person of interest in an unsolved 2003 bank robbery and a triple homicide at the Blue Ridge Savings Bank. This was six months away from what he killed the people at the motorcycle shop. Mm -hmm. Um, but as of May 2018, there were no definitive links. Yeah. I wouldn't think he would want money with a bank probably. yeah it's i mean the only reason why he went to the motorcycle motorcycle shop was because they bruised his pathetic little ego yeah 
So I don't think his his motive wasn't money. His dumbass couldn't uh, ride a motorcycle. No. Yeah, that that makes you a little mad if you can't figure out how to maybe you know use uh, some machinery. Uh, you know that, but not taking a gun does not make you a man. Yeah. So on December 2017, Todd wrote to Spartanburg Herald Journal claiming he had more victims which hadn't been discovered. Again, to this day, we don't know. Wants the media to make a big thing out of him. Mm -hmm. And it's possible he is linked to others. I mean, obviously, he's a cold-blooded killer. He doesn't give a shit. Right. He's not like the rest of us. No. So, Chad was charged with four counts of murder related to the Chesney shootings, one count of kidnapping for Brown's abduction. He was later charged with three more counts of murder for, you know, Carver and the Coxies, along with one additional count of kidnapping and three counts of possession of a weapon during a violent crime. He was scheduled for his next court appearance on January 19th, 2017, though his attorney waived the right to an appearance. Mm-hmm. The relatives of the victims and Kayla Brown filed wrongful death lawsuits against him. They basically sold his whole property. All of his assets were divvied up amongst the victims' families. And Kayla Brown um, was given half, which amounted to about $6.3 million. But, you know, this money means nothing. Yeah, I mean, her life is ruined mentally. Ruined. I mean, she was held captive for 65 days like an animal, watched her boyfriend be murdered in front of her. I mean, money doesn't make that go away. No, but th- thank God she's at least taken care of. She doesn't have to Financially, like, you know, work if she doesn't want to. But Or focus on her mental health, too. Yeah, thank God. With the means. Yeah, because a lot of times you're just screwed and it's like, well, hey, at least he's gone. Good luck. So I guess while they were doing this whole wrongful death lawsuit, the family members were given the opportunity to face Todd and speak with him. This was in July of 2019. And, you know, Chuck, Charlie's dad, stood there and he said, like, Todd was not looking down. He wasn't looking away. He was looking right at him. And he said, you know, this money is not going to put my son back here. It's just... (laughs) I don't I I don't know exactly how he worded it, but well, it's nothing like this means nothing. It means we're going to take your money away from you. Like I, I would want to make him feel bad. It'd be like, yeah, you know, like this. I have all your money and I'm not even going to use it because it doesn't do anything for me. Mm-hmm. I don't even care. And all this work that you've done is now gone and it's given to me because you don't deserve it because you're a scumbag. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything, everything, just think every time you were you wish that you had some money, just know that I have it now and the family of somebody that you killed have it. Yep. And you worked, you know, you think you worked hard for it. You're you're really useless human being and you deserve everything that you get here. And I hope it makes you feel terrible and you won't feel one one millionth of what I feel right now. He did. He tried to convey to him, you know, what he had taken from their family. Yeah. I highly doubt that Todd cared. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. It might even make him feel better. Like, yeah, you're fucking right. I took that away from you. You could just tell in his interviews, like, it was nothing to him. I'd want to talk about something that he cares about, you know, and I, I would try to, you know. I don't know that he cares about much besides selling homes and buying guns. Right. Um, and then Melissa, uh, Scott's wife, was given the opportunity to speak, and she actually said that she forgave him, which I think is actually very powerful because it takes it it takes that power. Like you don't have the power to ruin the rest of my life because I forgive you, and I'm breaking free of my hate and anger because you know hate and anger are very very strong emotions and active. And this man doesn't deserve those emotions. Yeah, it kind of takes the power away from him. It did. I thought I yeah. thought that was super powerful. Powerful, and you know she wants to focus on raising her son, which he was also there. Her, her son was very brave. He also faced Scott or um, Todd, Todd and spoke too. Yeah, so. I wonder if Todd would be pissed off at that. 
you know, being like, I didn't say I was uh, sorry, you know. Right. Be it's like, like I, no, no, I forgive you. Even if you don't say sorry, even if you don't want to be forgiven, mm-hmm. I've already done so. She is a very strong woman. Wow. Um. So... She should write a book or something. Yeah, and may, who knows if she has. I don't know. Yeah. So, you know, I know we had started this story about associating the Amazon killer. Yeah, I was like, yeah. Oh, this is the Amazon killer, and I haven't heard like, anything about What are we talking reviews. about with yeah. that? <laughs> so in May of 2014, around the time Todd had purchased his huge property, he had uh, there was an Amazon user known as me, began leaving short, disturbing reviews about products he had been ordering from Amazon, some potential murder weapons. The user's wish list was linked to Todd, and between 2014 and 2016, he left over 140 Amazon reviews. Wow, 140. So just a couple of, of examples. Uh, review for a pocket knife, and like they're so poorly written and, and like misspelled. Haven't stabbed anyone yet, yet, but I am keeping the dream alive, and when I do, it will be with a quality tool like this. Well, and you know there's those Amazon reviews that are like written in jest, you know? And sure. I'm sure a lot of people probably thumbs up a lot of them, and he probably liked them. Just a joke. Yeah, right. Like, oh, I haven't stabbed anybody yet. Oh, it's a knife. Of course I'm not stabbing anybody. You know, as if you like it or give it a, you know, oh, this is helpful. You know, mm-hmm. People are looking for like funny reviews sometimes, and that's different than everybody else. Like, yeah, works well, whatever. It's disgusting unfortunately and then there was a stun gun seriously trying to find a reason to zap one of my agents for being lazy it's going to be the new office motivational tool uh then for a shovel keep in the car for when you have to hide the bodies and that's where it hits close to home he dug graves for the people he killed on his property Yeah. yeah And you left the full size shovel at home. Does not come with the midget, which would which would have been nice. Yeah. Ugh. It's gross. A chainsaw. Getting the neighbor to stand still while you chase him with this is hard enough without having an easy to use chainsaw. A padlock. Again, hits close to home. They literally cut five of these off. Kayla's shipping container. Mm -hmm. What does the review say? Solid locks. Have five on a shipping container. Won't stop them, but sure will slow them down if they are too old to care. Wow. Yeah. It's, uh, and you know, all all these things, it sounds like a joke. Of course. If you read this on Amazon, you'd be like, "Uh, okay. Well, now ever since him, I'm sure authorities are looking at Amazon reviews and saying, hey, and hopefully Amazon come out with something and be like, if there's something that's a off, triggering weird thing, yeah. maybe notify somebody yeah, that they can be, look into it. Can't be joking around about murdering people no, with these you things. you can't. Digging holes for dead bodies and such. Yeah. So that's the story of Todd Colehup. Wow. What a scumbag. And when our son, yeah, not thankful our 13 year old son probably knows a lot of these details. Unfortunately, I don't know about that. I think he probably knows more just about the Amazon reviews yeah. because that's how he only breached it to me. There's, right. I mean, obviously this, that's a teeny little grain of the story. Yeah. He, he, you know, he probably saw a YouTube video where it's like, did you know there's a guy that reviews Amazon things and he killed people? With and he Amazon? actually used these products. Yeah. That's the sexier uh, yeah, headline. That's what Cameron probably heard. Yeah. Portfolio. So. Man, that's sickening. What a and I, I did not expect that deep of a story of all these different murders and such a twisted mental side of this guy. And and like we said, who knows if he has been responsible for other people's deaths. But you would think at this point he would give definitive details. Where could you find this person? You know? So maybe he did he didn't. Yeah, the Arizona one. Like, oh, some guy in Arizona. It's, it's like, like, okay, well, where? where did you bury him? Right. Where? What was his name? I'm sure he had more details if mm-hmm. he did. Like he was a smart guy. So 
And so he's in jail. Now? Oh yeah, yeah. And did I not read that part? You probably oh, did. I, you know what? I I don't think I did. I got ahead of myself. So he was basically given. Um, Ba ba ba! Don't mind me. What is ba ba ba? <laughs> so he pled guilty on um, May twenty six, two thousand seventeen. He t- he pled guilty to seven counts of murder, two counts of kidnapping, um, one count of criminal sexual assault, and was sentenced to seven consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole in a plea bargain that spared him from the death penalty. Hmm. Well, um, either way, he's... his defense swore at the sentencing that there were no other victims to be found, though Todd, again, repeatedly admitted that there were at least two other murders. As of August 2018, he has yet to give authorities any details. He is currently imprisoned at the Board River Correctional Institution in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, and yeah, that's where he is right now. Just wants the cops to keep coming to him. Maybe like uh-huh. today, and he'd be like, "Yeah, I might give you the information next week." You know, or uh, you know, he doesn't sound like that. He's a southern guy. Right? He, he is a southern guy. I might um, give it to you just next week. very like lax about what he says. Yeah, and just pompous. Yeah, just oof. hopefully get beaten down in prison. Yeah, and uh, one know, can hope smacked a few times with a big bar of soap or something in the head. Yeah, many bruises. Many and, bruises. Yeah, maybe he'll slip on the soap. Yeah. Then whatever else happens happens. Mm-hmm. Good for him. Well, good, uh, good, good delivery. Uh, thank you for sharing that with everybody. And yeah, it's uh, watch out for people on Facebook asking for help. I guess you know, make sure you're in public places when you meet these people. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, Kayla knew him. She'd yeah. been there. She chatted with him. It, it was wasn't fine. a stranger. Everything yeah. was fine. Yeah, that just goes to show anything at any time. Yeah, just a psychopath. Well. So, oh. well, we'll see you back next week. Yeah. It's you're up, pal. Uh, and maybe Mike will get started on his research so he's not up till 3 a.m. the night before. I can promise you I won't because I love making you crazy. Uh, why? Because I'm going to do it the day before and it's going to be great. Why? And then I'm going to bed at like 10 and he's like, well, I guess I'll see you in bed in about five hours. <laughs> and I'm like, well, whose fault is that? I didn't know I talked like that. That's how you talk. Well, I guess <laughs> no, Mike says, well, I guess I'll see you in bed in about five hours. <laughs> I develop a lisp. <laughs> <laughs> like a very high-pitched kind of... Oh, yeah. I look forward to that. Well, yeah. hey, thanks for listening, and uh, subscribe, like, tell your friends. We sure appreciate it. Yeah. We appreciate you being here. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to us. Bye.